Uh, yeah, like Jade said, we are in a series called In My Feelings. And so you can guess we're going to get in our feelings this month. Um, one of the things that I've just realized about the church uh, as a whole, I'm not saying every church, but we kind of, um, I think we downplay and minimize feelings uh, because it's like all about truth. You know, it's just like so often the way religion gets talked about, the way that faith can get talked about is like, hey, here's our just like the truth that you need to believe. And so, um, you know, have you guys heard of language like don't trust your feelings? You know, like, like just, we just kind of throw out things like that so often. And at some level, in a certain context, I understand where that makes sense. Um, but I don't think it's really fair uh, to say that because, one, um, God created us to have feelings. Uh, and God didn't just create us to know and believe things about him. Um, one of the things that I was just uh, really reflecting on personally in my life um, was a couple things. One, um, feelings are good, but feelings are also dangerous. Feelings are good, but feelings are also dangerous. Most of the damage in my life that I've caused has been because I've followed my feelings. At one time or another, like, my feelings kind of led me to a certain attitude, and my attitude, like, kind of led me to a certain belief, and the next thing I know, I'm doing things I didn't want to do because feelings, I, like, I let feelings uh, lead me and guide me. Um, but I've also kind of noticed, like, as I've kind of walked through as a pastor with uh, many young adults for over a period of time, I feel like most of my job, actually, as a pastor, when I sit with people, is, is encouraging them not to let their, their feelings rule them. And so we kind of, like, we walk in life, we have feelings, and, um, and, and, and here's the thing, God has feelings. Like, we are created in the image of God, and one of the things that's so beautiful about being made in the image of God is that we get to reflect him. And so God, God creates with feelings and emotions because he has feelings and emotions. And also think about this, um, could you imagine if you had to live life without feelings? Like, how boring would it be? So feelings are so good. Feelings are also good because they help us experience God and his beauty. Like when I, when I was singing, like I feel something. Uh, they also help us experience the goodness of his world. And uh, when feelings are in the right place, they actually aid us in, in loving others. But like I said, when I was talking about danger, feelings are also dangerous um, when they're stuffed in the trunk, meaning when they're suppressed. But, and they're also dangerous when we give them the keys to the car. Uh, I was listening to something, I thought it was kind of funny, they're like, feelings are like kids, they shouldn't be in the trunk, and they shouldn't be in the front seat, but they should be in the car. But like, let's just be honest, so much of our life, either one, we're suppressing our feelings, which does so much damage to us, uh, in ways that we see and in ways that we don't see, uh, but then on the other side, when we let them rule us, it actually, like, we just drive the car into places it should never go, you know? And so, um... What we're going to do in this series is essentially ask this question, how can we acknowledge and listen, and listen, like really listen to what our feelings are telling us without letting them rule us? I want to say that again. What we're asking in this series is what our feelings are telling us, but not letting them rule us. There's, a, there's an author named Pete Scazzaro, and he says this. He says, the call of discipleship, and if you're new to following Jesus, that just means like uh, apprenticeship. Like as Christians, we, we apprentice under Jesus. We'd like to be like him. So it says the call of discipleship includes experiencing our feelings. I love that. Experience our feelings, reflecting on our feelings, and then thoughtfully responding to our feelings. And here's the key, under the lordship of Jesus. And one of the other things that I've also noticed is um, 
and tell me if this is true, when you learn to know yourself better, you actually get to experience knowing God more deeply. Like when you actually know yourself better, it will actually lead you to experiencing and knowing God more deeply. And so that's what we're going to do in this series. And listen, we're not going to talk about all the things that we feel uh, as humans, but I feel like there's three things that God has laid on my heart and um, three things that I've just kind of seen honestly pretty regularly this year in this ministry and this family. And so we're going to talk about uh, anger, shame, and loneliness. And so uh, tonight we're going to jump in and talk about uh, our anger. So uh, why don't you guys bow your head and then let's just ask for the Holy Spirit to come uh, and to speak to us. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we love you, and um, and God, you are you're worthy. God, there's uh, there's nothing more we can say. We love you. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. God, you are are worthy of our obedience in our lives. And Jesus, I just pray that you would just fill us with your spirit tonight. Um, Jesus, I want, to, I want to follow you even when I don't feel like following you. Uh, God, I want to follow you in, in my anger. God, the ways that uh, my anger just wages war against my soul and the ways it affects others around me. God, I want to I follow you even in my shame and in loneliness. And so, Lord, in this series, as we just kind of process and reflect on, God, the things that we feel and as we seek to process those, process those things and submit those things to you, Jesus, I pray that you would just be with us and speak to us. Um, God, I pray for the person who, um, God, is here tonight that does not know you. Um, Jesus, as we even talk about a topic like tonight, I just pray that you would really reveal your grace and reveal your kindness and uh, reveal your love and begin to draw. Lord, I pray for the person in the room who uh, doesn't want to be here uh, and doesn't know why they came tonight. Lord, I believe that uh, you are always speaking to us. And so, um, God, I pray that you would reach that person and in your kindness and tender love that you would speak to them. And Lord, for those of us who are hungry and feel hungry, uh, God, I pray that you would fill us with your bread and satisfy us. Um, But Lord, I also pray that you would correct us uh, in the areas that uh, are hurting us and killing us, in the areas that are bringing pain to other people's lives. Jesus, we want to follow you and we want to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so tonight, I pray that you would use me and that you would teach us to do that. Uh, We love you, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, think about this. Think about anger in our world. Um, anger is destroying our world. Um, if you, it doesn't take much. You just have to flip on the TV for a second. You just have to look at kind of communities. Like anger is literally like as we're speaking, it's dividing and disintegrating like the fabric of God's world, the fabric of God's relationships. And it's just absolutely decimating every part of life. And then I think we can look out in the world, but then we also look into our own lives. Like, think about how, in your life, how has anger hurt relationships? Uh, I, I feel like I've been in the, the Christian community for a while now, and I've seen how, how anger, uh, left unchecked and left unprocessed, and kind of left in a place where it's either stuck or given the keys to kind of, like, rule your life, it, 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 it leads people into terrible places it causes division in community. Uh, I know in my own marriage, my anger has really hurt my wife at times. Uh, anger is, is something that does not belong into God's world because it actually breaks down the fabric of the relationships that he's created. And I know many of you in the room have experienced that yourself. Um, and, and so we want to talk about that tonight, and we want to submit ourselves to uh, the will of Jesus in our anger. But I thought one of the things, I was like, I can't teach a, a, a lesson on anger uh, without telling you what I got angry about this week. 
because uh, I, just, I just feel like I got to level the playing field. Uh, so guys, here, so you can judge me before we get into content. So here we go. I actually, I, so I spent a whole week, if you do this, it's, it's crazy. So go for a week and just know everything that you got angry about. It'll really surprise you, okay? So here we go. Um, so I got angry when I was writing this message, and I got interrupted. Uh, I was writing this message, and I got interrupted, and it annoyed me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm writing an ang- uh, like a message on anger, and now I'm getting angry when I got interrupted. I was reading my Bible the other morning, and uh, my wife wanted to talk to me. And then I got frustrated that she was trying to talk to me while I was reading God's word. The, the very book that's trying to, like, shape me to be a person of love, I'm getting annoyed <laughs> when I'm getting interrupted reading that book. Have you guys ever had that before? No? Okay, cool. Um, so this is a really common one for me. I got angry when I had to, uh, angry sounds extreme, so I'm going to use irritation, so it just makes me sound better. But, uh, so I, uh, I got angry or frustrated when I had to stay up past my bedtime. So some people get hangry. Does everybody know, like, a hangry person? I'm slangry. So it, like, starts hitting, it starts hitting 9 o'clock at night, and I'm just, like, uh, I just start getting frustrated. You know, my mind starts shutting down, and, like, Smiley Corey is no longer Smiley Corey, which is perfect because I have a baby coming, which means I'm not going to get any sleep. So that was cool. Um, so I also, so th- I was like, of course, all this stuff is happening this week. Uh, my ceiling started leaking water. So my wife's pregnant, so she's like, you know, her whole body and back is hurting. She's entering her third trimester, so she took a bath. It went up to, like, that drain, you know, that part up there. Went in there, then we come downstairs. I'm, like, about to go to bed. Then water's pouring through our ceiling, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's Saturday night. Here we go. So that got me frustrated because, like, now that's money. I don't want to pay money. I don't know how to do anything in the house. Josh does, so I just call him over, and he just, he just comes build stuff for me. So I'm thankful for him, but that was frustrating. I went to Great Clips. And, like, look at my hair. It's not that impressive. I, I literally get a one on the sides and then, a, like, a five on top. Like, okay, so I go in there. I sit down. The lady was super nice. And, uh, but, like, I thought she was, like, just, like, briefly going over the top of my head. And I was like, listen, I got, like, fine hair on top. So, like, sometimes people miss it. And there's just, like, these long things that sit around. And, uh, and so I sit in there. And then she, like, goes over it for, like, 20 seconds maybe. And then, like, she takes my sides, and my hair's going out like this. And then she starts taking scissors and trying to level out the top of my head. And so I'm done, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, like, you just messed up a buzz cut. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there. Like, I, I'm not kidding. I'm so frustrated. I'm like, so I literally immediately drive to another Great Clips. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the seat. And I'm like, Corey, I was like, I'm, you know, of course, I know I'm teaching this message. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, Corey, like, you don't don't even have good hair. Like, why do you care, you know? And I'm just sitting there. And so I go, I'm like, hey, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I was like, but, you know. She's like, yeah, have a seat. And so she fixes it up for me. So I got frustrated about that. I also got frustrated about somebody who criticized me, like, four years ago. Somehow they, like, got brought up in my mind. And then, like, I just started getting angry with them this week. I'm like, that was four years ago. (sighs) The point is... We're angry people. We're angry people. And I'm an angry person. And uh, we don't like to say it like that, but um, there's things in our life that just really bring uh, irritation. There's things in our lives that bring rage. And uh, most of the things that we get frustrated about are really petty. But our anger is always telling us something. It's telling us something about what we love. It's telling us about something we care about. 
And, um, and I know many of you, I, I know those are light, funny things, but I know many of you have, have come into this room with deep, deep anger. Um, anger towards God. Things that you've gone, like, had to go on in your life, and you're just really frustrated. Um, there's, uh, I remember my first year of marriage, it was really hard. Chris and I were just working through some things, there was some stuff in life. But I remember being, like, really angry at God about, like, how my marriage was my first uh, year of marriage. And so I know some of you, you've been hurt. There's all sorts of stuff. But anger is a really weird thing. And, and as followers of Jesus, like, we really want to bring that into the presence of God and not just stuff it and be like, I just got to try to be a nicer person. And we want to experience transformation in that area. And so I just want to ask you, before we kind of jump in, what are, you, what are you angry about? What are you angry about? What's the thing that's causing irritation, even if it's a low-grade irritation? What's the thing that's it enrages you? Maybe it's something out in the world. Maybe it's that, that, that girl, how she treated you, that guy, how he treated you. What, are you. what are you angry about? And here's the thing. Anger is complicated, isn't it? Because there's different personalities of people which lead to different expressions of anger. So uh, I, I, I say this. There's kind of like two different types of anger. There's, there's loud anger, and then there's quiet anger. So loud anger is like the person that like everybody knows is an angry person or has that switch. Like it's visible. It's like the caricature of like the red face, the yell. Like there's like the, the loud anger. So that's like a, it's a personality type that leads to a certain type of expression of anger. Typically more expressive people have louder anger. And so that's a different type of anger. But there's also, and I think this is the most sneaky, except for especially for me and for uh, church people, there's something I call quiet anger. And this is, the, this is the angry person who's judgmental, self-righteous, bitter, and it all sits behind a smile. And it all, all sits behind a smile. You sit in a room like this, you're smiling at people, somebody kind of like interrupts you and you're angry inside, but you're smiling because you, you know how to hide your anger better than the loud anger person. And so Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that, and so in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, uh, listen to what uh, Jesus says. He says, you have heard uh, that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. So Old Testament law, this is the people of God in the Old Testament, and he goes, hey, you, you heard, you know, what was told. Don't murder somebody. Seems pretty straightforward. Um, and if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But then Jesus goes, but I say, if you are even angry with somebody, you are subject to judgment. And so you sit there and you go, oh my gosh, like, dangers, I mean, danger. Uh, anger is not one of those things that's just like, oh, I guess it's just kind of like this thing I have. Jesus literally says, if you get angry with somebody, you're going to be judged by God. Okay, so now my anger that sits behind a smile actually means something. Um, anger is also complicated because you, you wonder, is anger right or wrong? In the Christian language, is anger sinful or is it not sinful? Because in Ephesians 4, like Jesus just says, you're going to be judged by God if, you ever, if you're even angry with somebody. But then you look at Jesus' life and you go, but I, Jesus, you got angry. I got multiple stories where I saw you get angry, so what are you trying to say there? Ephesians 4.26 says this, uh, be angry, that's a command. So Jesus says, don't get angry, you'll be judged. And then the Apostle Paul, who's like a pastor of that day, he says, be angry, but do not sin. So what, so is anger right or wrong? And the answer is anger is a sin sometimes. Uh, which leads us to ask the question, um, how do you know if you're experiencing righteous anger, good anger, bad anger? 
Because I don't know, guys, tell me if this is true for you. Sometimes I know I'm angry, and I legitimately have something to be angry about. I'm like, that was messed up, how they treated those people, how they treated me. Like, I know that was messed up. Like, I know, like, this is good anger. It does not belong in, t- in, in God's world. Then there's the other times where I'm like, I just know I'm being petty, and I'm just angry, and I know I should not be angry. And it's just like, yeah, I know. I just should not be angry, but I am. Uh, but then there's the sneaky kind of part, and tell me if this is true for you. You, uh, you get angry about something legitimate, and uh, you're like, no, I feel like I should really get angry about this. But then somehow in the process of processing that anger, it turns to sinful anger. So I, I, I've had this happen before where, like, I see something, I get so angry, and I'm like, man, that's, like, really messed up. I'm like, really feel like I'm processing it with the Lord. Then all of a sudden, like, two days later, I'm like, so bitter at that person. And I'm just, like, judging them, and I'm just, like, filled with anger. So then there's, like, good anger that turns to bad anger. And so we kind of deal with all those things. And I say all this just to kind of create the tension of, like, what is, like, how do we actually process anger? And so uh, to no surprise, uh, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at Jesus. And uh, we're going to examine the ways that he got angry. And we're going to look at good anger, good irritation, and good rage. So we're going to look at three different stories very briefly. We're not going to go into them very, like, deep. But I want to just kind of look at specifically Jesus' anger in these stories uh, so that when we look at his anger, uh, we can then reflect on our own anger and then learn how to respond to our anger based on what Jesus showed us about what biblical, righteous, and good anger looks like. Make sense? All right. So if you have your Bible, you can, you can open up to Mark chapter 3. Uh, or you can follow with us on the screen. I'm going to be jumping around a little bit, so I understand if you want to look on the screen. So we're, this is a good anger from Jesus. I'm just going to jump in and read the story. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, that is like the Pharisees, so these are like the religious leaders of the day, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. All right, just pause for a second. So there's this man, he has the shriveled hand, and, uh, and most commentators and most people who, uh, who kind of know the Bible well and read the story think that the Pharisees don't like Jesus, and so they use a man with a disability, and they think they planted him there in the synagogue because they're trying to trap Jesus. And so right off the bat, just think about how messed up that is. They're using a person with a disability as an object, hoping that Jesus would heal him, just so that they can go, Jesus, see, we got you. You did, you broke the law, right? So it's a, just a sketchy situation to start off with. Verse 4. So he had, Jesus has the guy uh, with the shriveled hand stand up in front of everybody. Imagine, like, the shame he might be feeling, like, the embarrassment. Um, just like, hey, come here, stand up in front of everybody. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And so um, what I love about this scene right here is, have you ever, uh, like, Jesus is always, like, coming after the hard-hearted person. He's always coming after the lost person. But even in this moment, um, picture, like, if, if Jesus is in this room. He's in the synagogue. So there's all these people sitting around. He has this man with the shriveled hand come up. And then uh, Jesus literally has the man stand up in front of everybody. And then he says to the Pharisees who are sitting there, he's like, look, on the Sabbath, is it lawful to heal? Is it, is it, is it lawful to, like, be kind, to be loving? And what Jesus is doing here, like, when you, when you show up to, uh, think about when you show up to somebody who's in pain and you don't want to help them, what do you do? 
you look away. So Jesus in this moment, because he's a man of compassion and love, he has the man stand up in front of everybody. And guess what he's trying to do? He's trying to go, Pharisees, can you see? Can you see the man? Like, can you see him? Can you see the pain? Can you, can you have some empathy? So Jesus, right in this moment, he's trying to work on their compassion. And he's like, he's trying to get the men to love this man. And then he says, but they remain silent. They can't even answer Jesus. Verse 5, so Jesus looked around at them, here it goes, in anger, in deeply distress, and that word means sorrow. So he, he looked at them in anger, so imagine him scanning the room, he's just angry. But then it says, it's interesting, deeply distressed, so his anger leads to distress. More on that in a second. He's deeply distressed that their stubborn hearts uh, said to the man, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. And his hand was completely uh, restored. What's so interesting about Jesus in the story is uh, love controls Jesus' expression of anger. Uh, notice uh, when he looks around at everybody in anger, he doesn't, he doesn't vent. He doesn't tell them off. Love in this moment is even controlling Jesus' expression of anger. Like it doesn't say like Jesus went with the disciples after and he's like, oh my gosh, you know like we do. Like can you believe them? Can you believe how horrible they are? Like Jesus in this moment, he's, he's angry, but he's, he's collected, and he just, he looks at them, and then he's sad. And uh, one of the things I also love about Jesus in this passage is he's not like half anger and half compassion. Jesus is all anger and compassion at the same time, which is a perfect expression of love for the victims of injustice. And so, so often, think about this, when you see somebody in pain, when you see somebody who's experiencing injustice, how oftentimes is it all anger, right? You think about the news and how they talk about, like, the injustice that's happening in society. It's, like, all anger and rage. But right here, Jesus' anger is immediately matched with compassion. He looks at them and he's angry because he sees how just love is being blocked. And then he's also going, like, he's full of compassion at the very same time. And so what Jesus shows us here very simply is when we see someone suffer, we should feel compassion, and when we see someone make another suffer, we should feel angry. All right, we'll uh, keep going. Uh, go to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 14. Uh, this is uh, Jesus having good irritation. So that was good anger. This is good irritation. Mark 10, verse 13 says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. So a very common kind of thing in this culture at this time is for kind of Jew a Jewish family would bring their children and they would have like like a, a pastor at that time or like this kind of religious leader. They would, they would have somebody like Jesus pray blessing over their children. So that's what's happening here. It's a very common practice. But the disciples rebuked them. Uh, and so, so think about this. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus and uh, Jesus, you know, he's starting to pray for them. And then, uh, and then, the disciples come like, no, 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 like, he's way too important. You know, like, no, don't bring your children. He's busy. He's the teacher. Don't bother him. And, uh, and, and, and so Jesus, I love his response in verse 14. He says, when Jesus saw this, so he looks up, you know, he's praying a blessing. He goes, oh, man, I see the disciples. They're, like, sending people away. says he was indignant. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Uh, that, that word means angry. It means frustrated. So he's angry. And he said, to them, he said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God, of God belongs to such as these. Now, this is kind of an interesting story. 
because there's some cultural differences back in the day. So children in our day, it's funny, I just had a small group leaders meeting, and Tim and Valerie Schaefer, who uh, they're leaders in our community, they brought their two-month-old baby. It was absolutely adorable, and it freaked me out because I'm about to have one of those. And, uh, <clears throat> and so, but it, it, like babies and like kids are like magnets in this culture, just like to, they're like the centers of attention. They're like highly valued. In this culture, like kids were just like, like literally inconvenient and just like, hey, like they shouldn't really be brought into the center of all this. And so in this culture, the norm, it's hard for us to understand, but put yourself in this culture. The norm is to like not give children attention like this. And, and, and there's something really simple about this that I want to pull out right now. One, how often we become irritated when others interrupt us and mess up our attempts to look good or be efficient. Right? So if I were that, this is exactly what, we do exactly what the disciples were doing. Like, we, when we become irritated, when we get, like, angry, it's typically because we're interrupted, and it, and it interrupts us as an opportunity to look good or to be efficient or to get something done. But listen, I love this. Jesus is angry. Listen to why Jesus is angry. Jesus is angry and irritated when he can't be interrupted. The disciples are irritated because they're like, Jesus, like this is really inefficient, inconvenient, and it doesn't really make us look good because you're associating with children. And Jesus gets irritated because he can't be interrupted. Let me ask you, do you ever get annoyed that you can't love somebody? Like you get, somebody interrupts you from the opportunity to love somebody and it bothers you. Jesus gets angry because he can't, uh, because he misses an opportunity to love or the disciples are trying to, to block it. And what Jesus is trying to show us here is that when other people do wrong things, we should get irritation because, we should get irritated because irritation rightly used and rightly guided can fuel compassion and honest words to help people. Last story, and then we'll, uh, we'll do some reflection. Um, Mark chapter 11. This is uh, Jesus at his angriest, probably. Good rage. Um, if you've been in the church, this is a very common story. So Mark 11, uh, verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, or the story says this. On reaching Jerusalem, so this is like the capital city of Israel, uh, Jesus entered the, tep- the temple courts. And, uh, and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Now listen, Put yourself in the scene. If you're new to faith, the temple at this time for the people of Israel, for the people of God, uh, this is like, like the, the prophecies, the things were, that were like kind of sung about, the things that were going around. It's like this is the place that the nations would come to worship Yahweh, the one true creator God, right? So like this is like the most, like for Americans, it would be like the, um, the White House. It's like it's a very prestigious, like it's the temple of God. So it's a, it's a really big deal. So Jesus shows up, and he begins driving out those who were buying and selling there. Uh, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So he just comes over, he, like, he just starts flipping stuff. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. So people are trying to get in, and Jesus literally won't let them in. So he's flipping tables. He's not letting people come in. And verse 17 says, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine somebody coming to the commons or coming to the worship center on a Sunday and they just start getting so mad that they just start flipping tables. In this place, like, you know what church is? It's like kind of like the quiet, you know? It's the quiet, it's the collected. And, th- and this guy comes in, he's like 30 years old, 
and so he's younger than all the, like, the pastors at the time, and he just starts flipping tables. He starts throwing things in the temple, and he won't even allow you to come in. And so here's what's going on here. Um, in, the, in, in the temple, there's like different sections. So like the kind of, the, 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 there's like the Holy of Holies at the, at the center. And then outside of that, Jews uh, who were members of the people of God, they could come in and uh, they could worship in this section kind of outside the Holy of Holies that was for the people of God. But outside of that was this kind of outer court, which is what's happening here, which is for the Gentiles. So these are like non-Jewish people. This is the only place in the temple that they could come and actually experience and worship God. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he sees they're literally in the place where Gentiles are actually supposed to come and worship God and experience him, there's like sketchy merchandise going on. And Jesus goes, you're just trying to like make a profit and you're doing it in the place that like these people who are lost and far from God, like he's like, and he just, and he goes, he makes a whip, he comes back, he flips tables and he's full of rage. And so what I love about Jesus, his anger in this moment is he, is he teaches, Jesus gets angry when faith is blocked from another individual. Jews were blocking Gentiles faith and Jesus goes, man, you're blocking them from experiencing God. It filled him with rage. And so what do we see, what do we see from all this? Um, a couple observations. One, this is very interesting. Not once in all of the, the Gospels, which are the accounts of Jesus' life, not once does Jesus ever get angry when somebody personally hurts him. I want you to hear that. Not once. Does Jesus ever get angry in the Gospels? You can't find it where somebody personally hurts him. Which is very unlike me, and I'm guessing very much unlike you. Typically, I get the most angry when somebody hurts me, and I get the least angry when somebody hurts somebody else. When somebody hurts somebody else, I'm like, yeah, they'll figure it out. And it might bother me a little bit, but man, if you hurt me or personally attack me, my character, or like ego or whatever pride that is, I get the most angry. And so right off the bat, we see, man, God's type of anger is way different than mine. Jesus never gets angry when somebody personally hurts him because he's so secure in his father's love. Second, uh, Jesus gets angry only when love is blocked, compassion is blocked, or faith is blocked. I want to say that one, one more time. Jesus gets angry only when love is blocked in the case of the man with the shriveled hand when compassion is blocked, and when faith is blocked. And so Jesus' anger, it's always, listen, it's always centered on other people's welfare. Other people's uh, welfare. And underneath all of Jesus' anger is love, and there's no exception. Underneath all of Jesus' anger is love, and there's no exceptions. I want to use an illustration to kind of um, to talk about this, because I know some of you, uh, you really struggle with the anger of God. You know, there's, there's some stuff about what about, the, you know, these times in the Bible where God gets super angry, like, you know, like, how does God, like, how does, like, I just, God being angry with me or frustrated with me, uh, just really, like, it could, it just doesn't sit well. It's nerve-wracking. But if Jesus' anger, underneath all of it is love, which means that his anger is fueled by love, and, and you guys will get this too. Okay, so, the more that you love something, the more that you're going to be angry towards whatever that is that hurts what you love. Is that not true? So think about this. My wife, um, 
Actually, I'm going to take something else. You, if you hurt um, Matthew Lambert, don't hurt Matthew. But if you hurt Matthew Lambert and you, like, you say something mean to him, I'm going to get really mad because I really love him. I'm going to get mad at you because I really love him. But if you hurt my wife, I'm going to get really mad. I'm going to get like, re- like, like rage, like unhealthy, sinful rage because I deeply, deeply love my wife. You get angry at anything that threatens what you love. And so all of God's anger, the reason God hates sin so much, and yes, that word hate, the reason God gets angry at sin is because God is, is angry at the thing that's ruining his good world. John 3, 16, God so what? Loved the world. He so loved it. He created it. He created you. He loves you. And so anything that's going to ruin you or ruin his world, he has wrath towards. But it's because of his love. Do you see that? It's not just God being pissy. It's not just him having a hard day. He goes, I love so much. And man, sin, death, all these things, he goes, I hate it because underneath that is love. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's reflect on our anger. I I said at the very beginning of this, one, um, we need to listen to our anger and what it's telling us, but not let it rule us. We need to listen to our feelings, but not let it rule us. So uh, what's underneath most of our anger? What is it telling us? And and there's, this is really interesting. There's pretty much three things that's underneath all of our anger, and I want to go through it really quick. One, um, we get angry because we are hurt. Um, if you're going to be honest, think about the moments that you got angry in the last week or in the last couple weeks. Whenever you get hurt, typically the, the, the natural kind of reaction towards anger uh, or towards hurt is anger. And so some of you, I just want to ask you, who hurt you? Because your anger could be telling you that there's actually hurt. So instead of saying, like, I shouldn't be angry, what God wants to do is, like, listen, there's a hurt, and maybe, uh, maybe you haven't even processed that hurt. Uh, maybe you need to go to counseling for that hurt because somebody has, like, severely hurt you. Maybe there's somebody who sinned against you and hurt you, and you're still bitter towards them today. Maybe that person's in this room. Like, they've just done little things, and you kind of bothered you, and that's kind of built up, and now you're angry towards them. But underneath all of it, let's just be honest, they hurt you. And so one of the things that God's calling you to do is to reconcile with that person. Uh, one... Uh, we are hurt. Two, uh, one of the, the other reasons that we get angry is because uh, we're scared. Uh, the second thing that's underneath our anger is, is that we're scared. And so let me ask you, what are you scared of? Have you ever noticed, like, when you really wanted something um, really bad and you're really hoping for it and it, like, provided, like, security, um, and then something threatened that, you got angry because you're scared. I remember when... Um, so my first year of marriage, my wife and I got so angry at each other over money. Oh, my gosh. The ma- I had to leave the apartment and walk away. Like, we would just sit over a budget, and we're like, she's like, no, why are you, ha- you're going to spend how much on coffee? You're going to put that? You know, like, we just literally, like, it was just very unhealthy. And we would just get angry, and we didn't know how to process it. But one of the things that I realized is, uh, so typically, this is how it was. I wanted to spend, she wanted to save. But she wanted to save more than I wanted to spend, or I actually wanted to save. So it's just, it's, you'll, when you get married, you'll see it. Or you already know. But one of the things that uh, Paul, when he was counseling us, uh, he talked about, he's like, underneath all that anger that you guys have about money, he's like, it's not about the money. 
he goes, uh, Crystal, you, uh, you're scared of losing security. Uh, money in that savings account feel, makes you feel secure. And so when Tori spends that money, uh, you're scared. And so what you do, you react in anger. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And she goes, all right, now, Corey, you're scared. Because underneath your anger is uh, you're scared that you're going to lose experiences with people. So I'm a highly relational person. I love to go out with people. And he's like, so you're not just angry because you can't get coffee or you can't go buy that food or whatever. He's like, because underneath that, you're scared that you're going to lose experience with people. And so some of you, there's anger in your life because underneath of it, you're, you're afraid of something. And so I just want to ask you, what are you scared of? And, and to take that into the presence of Jesus. And then the last thing that we see about our anger is, um, is that our anger tells us that there's disordered worship in our heart. Now, let me explain this. <clears throat> Think about this with me for a second. If Jesus is the first and primary thing in your heart. Uh, if loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself is the primary thing in your heart, which is what God calls us to, then there's nothing that could really happen that would cause that to be threatened. Because in any circumstance, in any environment, you can love, your, you can love God and love your neighbor. We get angry when we take love God and love your neighbor and put it at second or third or fourth, and then now my comfort sits at number one. Or now me feeling secure financially feels at number one. Or now my reputation feels at number one. And when anything in your heart sits at number one and love for God or love for neighbor sits underneath that, whenever that gets poked, you're going to get angry. So one of, the, one of the things I always tell people, one of the best ways to tell what you truly worship is by what makes you angry. So all those silly examples, when I get frustrated about having to stay up past when I want to go to bed, what am I worshiping in that moment? Comfort, preference. When somebody, when you actually, like when your car breaks down and then you have to pay more money and you get angry, why? Money. And so it's disordered worship. And so one of the things that, that God is calling us to do and calling us to, to rest in, he goes, listen, God, like, you need to ask us, reorder your heart. When you get angry, stop and go, what, what is it that's caused, what, what am I prioritizing? What's disordered in my heart? And Jesus says, replace me with that thing. And so um, let's end with this. Um, how do we respond when anger does arise in our heart? Because this is what I've realized. Oftentimes, I'll just go, um, it just happens. It's not like I chose to be angry. Like, I'll just be walking, like, all of a sudden now I'm just filled with anger. And so I want to give you three practical steps. When anger arises in your heart, um, uh, this is what you can do. One, uh, stop. <sighs> not stop being angry. <laughs> uh, when anger arises, like, literally stop. I, I, I was on a walk with my wi wife this week, and she was talking about something that frustrated her, and it honestly made me really frustrated, too. But one of the worst things that you can do when you're angry is just to keep going. Uh, literally stop, take a deep breath, and go, why am I angry? What's going on? And just stop for a second. There's this brilliant thinker in this ministry called Ray Diaz. And he, uh, he, he told me, that <laughs> he gave me this line. He said, uh, uh, this is so good. When emotion is high, logic is low. Uh, when your anger is high, 
your logic is low. And so the first step when anger arises is to stop. And then step two uh, is to analyze the anger. Uh, and typically, and this is where you ask, because not all anger is bad. Remember, there's good anger and there's bad anger. Uh, but we need to analyze the anger. So when you stop, you go, you stop, all right, I'm angry. And then step two, am I experiencing bad anger or good anger? And so uh, if it's bad anger, uh, ask God to show you what you are loving and prioritizing more than him. And then when you realize what that is, because most likely that's going to be the thing that keeps reoccurring, um, like come into God's presence. And I don't know how many of you have done this, of like you come into God's presence and you just, like I've had to do this where I just go, Lord, I am so angry. Or if I actually know what's really going on, I'm like, God, I am so hurt by that person. What they did to me, how they treated me, what they didn't do for me, what they, the, what they did to my friend, I'm like, God, like, I, I'm hurt. And I go, God, God, God would, you, would you begin to, to, to heal me in that area? Or, oh my God, I'm scared. I'm really scared. I'm scared about my financial situation. I'm scared about losing friendships. And so I cling to all of them and I get angry when it's right. It's like, God, it's like, God, would you be my shepherd? Would you come and would you comfort me? Would you show me that all I need is you? And so we take our bad anger and we stop and we bring it into the presence of God. And honestly, we repent of it and we go, oh God, like, I just gotta be honest, like, I care more about my reputation than I care about yours. And I get on my knees and I go, Lord, um, would you just forgive me? Like genuinely, like, Lord, would you forgive me and heal me? But then if it's good anger, um, this is what God would have you do. God would, would, would have you let your good anger lead you to love with gentle honesty, gentle confrontation, and gentle truthfulness. There is a time when your anger actually should lead you to love through those things. But here's what I would encourage you to do if you're in that place. Like, I, that's wrong, that's messed up, and I want to deal with it. One, seek wisdom from other believers. Because more often than not, what I realize what I'm actually angry about I thought was justified, but it's really unjustified. And so it's taken me going into somebody like, hey, I'm really angry about this. Can you just honestly tell me, like, am I missing something here? And then I seek wisdom, like, how should I have the conversation? Should I have the conversation? But you, when it's good anger, don't rush to do something. Seek wisdom, because you actually might be deceived. But if, if God says, no, you're imaging me in this way, then go and love in honesty love and gentle confrontation, and love and truthfulness. And we'll talk about that, what that actually looks like this year more. And the last thing that I would say is, um, and this is what sets Christianity apart from just self-help and anger. Um, and the third step is to look to Christ. And I want to bring you back to something that, that Jesus said earlier. Um, Jesus said, if you're even angry with somebody, you're subject to judgment. Which leads me to a problem, then I stand judged and condemned. And so the story of the Bible, um, it's not to get you the hell out of here, but it's, get, it's to get the hell out of you. I want to say that again. The story of the Bible is to not to get you the hell out of here, but it's to get the hell out of you. And the problem uh, that has that, that is in the world right now is like, okay, so if God's getting the hell out of the world, not getting you the hell out of the world, then how can he do that without getting rid of me? Because sin and anger is located right in my heart and it's located right in your heart 
So if God's going to heal this whole world, how can he do it without getting rid of me? And that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel, the gospel is what softens the angry heart? The love of Jesus. See, Jesus' anger and hatred for sin led him to, to come to pursue you and to chase you in your angriest moments, in your bitterness, in your pride, the love of God, he goes, I am going to uproot that out of him. And I'm going to let my anger take me to the cross. And then Jesus, he, 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 he gets, uh, he, 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 he humbles himself and he submits to the Father's will. And he goes, all right, Lord, like, I'm going to take this cup of wrath and the anger that you deserve, that I deserve, I'm going to take it. The just anger that God had for you because of your sin and the ways that you've hurt people and have sinned against him, Jesus goes, I want to take that. And that's why when I sit there and we sing these songs, like, what amazing grace. What amazing love that you would take my place and that you would bear my cross. And we look and we go, I should have been there. And then when I look at my anger, and then I go, God, you have, I'm going to be honest, you have a lot more to be angry with me about than I do them. And yet you bore my shame and you bore my anger. That will heal your heart. That will heal your anger. And so let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, you're so good. You're so gracious. You're so kind. And uh, Lord, we, uh, God, we, I'm thankful that I can come into your presence, Jesus, and then I, I can vent. <laughs> God, you, you, don't, you tell us not to vent to others, but we can vent to you, and we can just be honest about the things that have hurt us, the things that have been painful. And so, Lord Jesus, uh, we need your help, God. We want to we wanna experience healing. Uh, we want to walk with you. We want to love. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would teach us to not let our anger rule us and have a, a, a foot place in our hearts. And, um, Lord, I pray that... Uh, your presence would just overwhelm us with grace. And so I want to take a second right now, and if you feel comfortable, uh, I just want you to, to put your hands out in front of you uh, in a posture of uh, just humility. And uh, I want you to put in your hands whatever you're angry about. It can be little. It can be something very significant. Uh, the scriptures say that, um, that anger gives a, a foothold to the enemy in our lives. And so Jesus tells us to give us his anger. And so I want you to, uh, to just talk to God for a few seconds about what you're angry about and how it's making you feel. And so I just want to give you a few seconds. Why don't you just talk to God about uh, what you're experiencing anger about. we love you, and God, we need you, and so God, we sing that right now, and then we pray, amen. Stand and sing for one more song.